Welcome to the Human Side of Healthcare. We're delighted you could join us today. We have with us today Dr. Robert Haley, who is with UT Southwestern. He's been a guest previously, and we're going to talk to him about vaccines. Welcome to the show, Dr. Haley. Happy to be here. Dr. Haley, there's a lot of information out about vaccines, some on social media, some accurate, some not accurate. So we're going to ask you some direct questions. Some people are hesitant to get a vaccine. If vaccines are available, regardless of whether it's Pfizer, Moderna, or Janssen, as we know, if you're offered one of those vaccines, should you hesitate to take it? Absolutely not. I like to say that the the vaccine that's best for you is the one that you're offered first. No, people are concerned or expressing concerns about theoretical uh, risks that there might be. There's plenty of evidence now that those are not true, and uh, these are among the safest vaccines ever produced. And, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna are using a new technology called messenger RNA vaccine, and they use a very clean method that, that transmits no part of the virus. That's important to know. This is not a killed virus or a live virus. There's no, nothing live in there that can infect you. All it is is from ingredients off the shelf. They cook up this vaccine, and it, it stimulates your body to produce very strong, very broad immunity to these coronaviruses. Uh, and it has virtually no side effects uh, for the vast majority of people who take it. So they are safe. They're very effective, and uh, whichever one you get offered, take it. Dr. Haley, some people, when I talk to them, are very hesitant to get the flu vaccine. They have allergic reaction. They say, the egg in the vaccine bothers me. Is there any egg in this COVID-19 vaccine? No, these are all uh, just just uh, medicines, uh, components of medicines off the shelf, that are put together just in the right way to stimulate your immunity, but there's no eggs, there's nothing to be uh, allergic to for the vast majority of people. Now, there is, uh, has been one uh, serious side effect, and uh, both of the vaccines have this, but it's extremely, it's like one in a million people. It's very, very rare, and that's an immediate, what they call anaphylactic reaction. But it's an immediate reaction that occurs within the first 10 minutes. Uh, So you'll know. So uh, that's why all the places that are administering the vaccine have a nurse or doctor on site uh, with the antidote ready to go. And if you happen to experience that allergic reaction, you'll get it. They'll hold you there within for at least 15 minutes to be sure you don't have it. And but if you do have it, they can just give you a little shot uh, with uh, with uh, adrenaline and that immediately stops it and you're fine. Okay, so all the places that are giving the shots uh, have the ability to do that. It's all ready and in case anybody gets it. And there are just a handful of people all over the world who have been reported to have that. So it's exceedingly rare. And and that occurs with other vaccines as well. So uh, this is extremely safe. You know, Dr. Haley, I talk to people, and as you well know, with Pfizer, you get your first dose, come back in about 21 days. Moderna, it's 28 days. But some people have told me 
you know, maybe they weren't feeling well, bad weather, whatever the reason, they were a couple of days late getting that second dose. Is that going to have any significant impact? Not at all. In fact, the manufacturers are saying that there's at least a two or three week window there where you can get it. Now, you don't want to get it too soon, sooner than what they say, but you've got two or three weeks after that to get the second shot. People read about Pfizer, and I think the efficacies in the 90s, and I think Janssen's in the 80s. Does that really have an impact on the efficacy and which vaccine you should take? Yeah, that brings up a really, really interesting question. And I've uh, just a week or so ago, I reviewed all the evidence uh, from the scientific papers on all these vaccines. And here's the story. It's really interesting. Uh, yes, the uh, Janssen, the J&J Janssen vaccine, which is uh, the newest of the three, that one has only about 85% efficacy uh, after the first shot. But it's remember, it's only a one-shot thing, so that's a big advantage. But after that one shot, it's got about 85% efficacy, and it's got 66% efficacy for having any symptoms from the virus, and 85 to 100% efficacy for severe infection, and 100% efficacy, though, by preventing severe enough illness to go to the hospital and 100% effectiveness for dying of the, of the virus. And it turns out that all of the vaccines have less than 100%, less than 90% efficacy after the first shot, just as the Janssen does. But that's why the Pfizer and Moderna require two shots to uh, boost that immunity up to 94, almost 95% after the second shot. But the take-home lesson here is that all these vaccines, all three vaccines, have 100% efficacy against going to having to go to the hospital or dying. See, so even if the Janssen has lower effectiveness for mild infection, it's still got 100% efficacy against severe infection enough to put you in the hospital or, or dying. So it's going to protect you completely from having a severe illness. So that's why I would say whichever shot you are offered, take, because they're all three going to prevent you from going to the hospital and dying. Even though you might get a, a mild case with the Janssen, which you probably wouldn't get with the Pfizer or Moderna, that's just a bad cold, you see. So, so all three turn this into just a bad cold or nothing. I've had people ask me, I got my first dose, which was Pfizer. Is it okay if I get my second dose from Moderna? What do you say to mixing the vaccines? That's a, another good question. We don't really know the answer because there's been no clinical trial uh, completed. There's actually a clinical trial uh, underway to test that idea of mixing the vaccines, but there's no evidence whether that's effective or not. But we know that these vaccines, both those vaccines, are 100% protective from hospitalization or death after the first shot. So, you know, if you get them, they, they won't be quite as effective against mild infection uh, with just one shot. And so when you, uh, the, the experts think that it probably mixing them would probably still give you 
great immunity. In fact, some people have suggested you might even get better immunity by having your first shot of one and your second shot of the other because the first one would immunize you against one array of the ingredients in the in the in the virus, you know, of the antigens in the virus, and the other would give you a little bit different coverage. And so the two of them together might give you even broader coverage than than one alone. But uh, I think the bottom line to me is I don't think it's going to matter. And the CDC has even said if that happens to be the only things that are available on the time schedule, go ahead and take a mixed uh, regimen there. Uh, but ideally, if you can, get two shots of the same one. But it, it probably isn't going to matter. Dr. Haley, last fall you were with us, and you told us a story about some guinea pigs and how if you put the mask on the guinea pigs, it would keep them from getting the COVID virus. But you said even if they got it, even if they got if something got through, if they had the mask on, they would get less of the COVID exposure. Now, those guinea pigs have become little, little local celebrities around DFW on KRLD on Sunday afternoon. We milked that for all it was worth. That was a great well, story. Great. <laughs> well, it is a great story because I think it's a fabulous experiment that, to me, was the, the – I mean, there was a lot of evidence that masking was effective, but when I saw that – that it not only protects you uh, mostly, most often from getting any infection, uh, but even when you, d- if you, if they fail and you get an infection, it's a much milder infection because the dose of virus you inhale is much smaller from from the masking. Well, we like it's, to put stuff in simple terms here. So what you're saying is, just like the guinea pigs, if we get the vaccination and we are exposed to COVID. Don't worry so much about that because you're going to have a milder version of it. Is that the deal? Absolutely. That's exactly right. You'll have a milder version that will not put you in the hospital and not take your life. So let me ask you this. We've heard a lot about COVID-19 and how it's mutated. We know it's done it in Europe. It's done it in Africa. And those are referred as mutations or variants. Do you think the current vaccine will give us protection against these mutations? Uh, well, Steve, I'm glad you asked me today and not a couple of weeks ago because uh, I, I've just uh, learned of uh, two trials that are about to be released uh, where they've tested both the Pfizer and the Moderna against at, at least the South African variant, which is uh, uh, probably the, the little bit most worrisome one, and both of them held up extremely well. So they're, they're very effective against uh, the variants. Now, I say that, but let me, let me say something more about the variants, the whole concept of variants. Variants arise when lots of people are infected and the virus has lots of opportunities to mutate. See, it, it won't mutate if it's not infecting people. You know, if it's just lying out there on a, on a doorknob somewhere or something, it's not going to mutate. It's when it gets into a person and grows into, you know, uh, multiplies into huge numbers and keeps multiplying. Every time it reproduces, there's going there. There are some errors that are produced in its uh, genetic material, and it's just a numbers game. The more times that happens, the more likely you are to to hit upon. It is to hit upon a variant that can survive and maybe spread faster 
and maybe be more virulent, more damaging. Uh, and if so, if it outcompetes all the other viruses, all the other its cousins, then it will become the dominant strain. See, and and so the way, the best way for us to prevent the occurrence, the uh, the further emergence of these variants, is to stop getting infected. And that means just wearing a mask when you're around other people and do social distancing. Those are the key things. There's also hand washing and so forth. But the key is distancing and wearing a mask. If you do that, you're not going to get infected. You're not going to infect other people. And then that virus has that much less chance of producing a variant. So what we're trying to do is as quickly as possible vaccinate the entire world uh, not only our country, but we have to make, vaccinate the rest of the world because it doesn't matter if that virus produces a variant uh, here or in Africa or in Asia or somewhere else, some developing country that we decided that we didn't need to help out. It can produce a terrible variant there, and that will spread around the world and come back to bite us. So we really need to vaccinate the entire world, and we have the, the, the ability – to do that, and the World Health Organization is coordinating it, and uh, we need to help that effort because it's in our interest not to spawn more of those variants. I think what you're telling our listeners, get your vaccine as soon as you can and continue wearing your mask because we've got to tamp down this community spread of this infection. That now prompts my next question. I've got good friends They have both, it's a man and his wife, they have both had both doses of the vaccine. And now they told me the other day, we're protected. We're going to go out and celebrate our anniversary. We're going to go to a restaurant, and we don't even really have to wear a mask. What do you say in that scenario I just gave you? And what about people? Once they have both doses, what should they do? Okay, actually, the answer to that is pretty simple. The answer is that even after you've been successfully vaccinated with any of these vaccines, there is still a small chance that you could develop the infection, even though it wouldn't make you sick. You might even most likely wouldn't even know you had it, but you could develop the infection. And if you develop it, then you could spread it to others. So the idea is uh, even though you're not going to be at risk, you need to protect your fellow man, your family members, your particularly your elderly relatives, and anybody you come in contact with. And that means you must continue, continue to wear your mask and protect yourself. And we're really only talking about a few more months because uh, it looks like our new administration is going to have plenty of vaccine here shortly and going to be vaccinating everybody. So it's just a few more months, and hopefully we won't have another one of these pandemics for another 100 years. You know, another question I want to ask you, Dr. Haley, and it's a little sensitive. I really look at three categories of people that are reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. One, there are some people that are just anti-vaccines, period. They don't even want to get their kids immunized. We know that, and we've had those discussions Secondly, there are people that say, hey, I'm going to get the vaccine, but I don't want to be the first group to do it. I'm going to wait a few months and see how this kind of plays out, and then I'll probably get my vaccine. And then, of course, there's the third group, and this is quite sensitive, people of color, 
that very unfortunately have been used in medical experiments in the past, uh, have been mistreated, uh, and it's just horrible, some of the things that happen. But they also are reluctant. To our listeners out there, if they fall in any of those categories I just described, can you encourage them or give them some nuggets of evidence as to why they should get a vaccine? Yeah, that's a tough one, but here's the way I look at it myself, and that is, you know, there is a chance that you could get a certainly a mild side effect. When I took uh, the two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, my wife, the Moderna, and we did have some side effects. You know, we had some achiness and uh, a day or two of uh, feeling sort of fatigued and so forth. I didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. So I was kind of wondering, I wish I didn't have to take this because I don't want a day where I'm not very productive. And, but then you think, wait a minute, which would I rather have a couple of days of being a little bit, feeling a little bit low or a month in the ICU after which I die? I mean, that's your choice. And this thing is, it's, it's probably going to infect everyone Eventually, it will affect everyone who has not been vaccinated. That's the other thing. You're not going to get a, you're not going to get away without being infected with this thing or vaccinated, because it is so infectious. It is not going away. And if we have thirty to forty percent of the population who elects not to be vaccinated, we're not going to have what's called herd immunity. So that means uh, it will still be circulating around, and everybody who's not vaccinated will get it. And a certain percentage of those people are going to end up in the intensive care unit on a ventilator for a month, after which they're going to die. And so why, why would you take that chance? Now, I understand, I really do understand the concern of uh, our African-American uh, friends who, you know, look back at the very dismal history of health care of, of all sorts in, for the minority community. That is a terrible problem, and it's something we're all very sad about. But again, uh, look who's getting the vaccine first. Who who jumped at the vaccine, and that's the entire community of healthcare workers, all the doctors, uh, nurses, uh, technicians in hospitals uh, were standing in line first. And I can tell you from my experience, I believe in this vaccine. It is safe. It is effective, and it just breaks my heart that somebody would would let other concerns stand in the way because this is going to get you, and I, it just pains me to think that we have this uh, this miraculous uh, prevention and that not everybody's going to take it. Thomas, I'm sure you've got some questions for Dr. Haley. Can you explain more of what the messenger RNA does in our bodies? Tell us the science, but in radio Sunday afternoon terms. Yeah. Well, first of all, Tom, let me say, I think the the woman scientist who came up with how to make the messenger RNA vaccine work should be a candidate for the Nobel Prize this very next year. This is one of the great breakthroughs in medicine that we've seen. I mean, it's that good. Well, let me tell you how it works. Remember, RNA is like DNA. It's it's part of the uh, genetic code of uh, that that produces a human being and allows us to function 
on a daily basis. It's our basic genetic material. And the way it works, very simply, your, your, your DNA is the code, the genetic code. And what happens is you're constantly, as, as your body needs to function, the DNA produces, when it wants to produce a protein or produce a reaction in the body, it produces RNA. The, the DNA produces RNA, and that RNA is a messenger that uh, goes around and produces, causes other parts of your cell to produce a protein that then is, a, is an enzyme or something that uh, does something in your body or causes your brain to work or something. So the DNA produces messenger RNA that goes out and makes a protein. All right, so, so that's, first of all, what they are. And so what the, they figured out how to do, uh, you remember back when the uh, virus first came out in China, the Chinese very rapidly used this new technology that was largely invented in the United States that allows them to quickly analyze the virus's DNA, I'm sorry, the virus's RNA and made a map of the RNA. So we know exactly the structure of that RNA. Well, now the way you the way they produce this vaccine is you you take the piece of that RNA that produces the spike protein of the virus. The spike protein is part that makes it infectious for your body and allows it to hook onto your cells and enter your cells and make you sick. They've got the the RNA segment, the segment of the RNA that makes that. Then they've they've put that into a little. They they can then synthesize that get components of medicines right off the shelf and produce that little stretch of RNA. And then what they can do is package that in a little a little lipid capsule, a little microscopic uh, droplet of uh, fatty substance and that, that protects it. And then they can the, then, then they put that in the shot and the shot is injected into your arm, into your arm muscle. And then the little droplet, allows the that RNA to go into your muscle cells and then that directs your muscle cells to produce spike protein. The spike protein then goes out in your blood and then your body recognizes, oh wait, a minute, here comes some spike protein and and let's make some antibodies to because that's foreign. We don't want that in our body. So then your body makes tons of antibodies which are immune little immune molecules that are then ready if you if you actually see the real virus that these little antibodies will go attached to the spike protein on the real virus and prevent it from making you sick so that messenger rna stays uh, c- continues to develop spike protein in your blood for uh, some period of time for i don't i don't know how long that is a few days or maybe a couple of weeks or so long enough to for your body to make immunity to it so, so see, you're not injecting anything actually from a virus. You're just injecting some RNA that has been made in the laboratory to look like that spike protein. And so it's that's why it's entirely safe. And so it, since it's so pure, it is just this RNA that you're injecting, that the likelihood of side effects is greatly diminished. See, in the old the old way, we used to take the virus and kill the virus with a chemical and, and inject the killed virus into you. And that worked great, but there were lots of side effects, like the old flu vaccine used to give you fever and chills maybe for a day or two and make you a little sick. Uh, that's because it was it was the whole virus dead, but still the whole virus. 
so it worked, but it, it was more likely to make you sick. This is just a little segment of RNA that's very pure with not a lot of other components around it, you know, and that's why it's so safe. And if we do get variant, this is important, if we do find the emergence of variants that get around this vaccine where the antibodies produced by this vaccine don't protect you, it's very easy. It's like just going into the computer and adding a few little codes to the uh, sequence uh, that makes the spike protein, you know, just add a few codes that will get around that and reap and produce another vaccine. So it can be very quickly turned into a, new, a booster shot that then everybody would take the booster and then they would be immune to the variant. I mean, this is just a miraculous thing that vaccines can now be produced in a very short time and modified as we need them. It's just an amazing discovery. Well, if that could continue on, and that's one of the good benefits that comes from COVID-19, we will certainly accept that gratefully, won't we? Yeah, let me add one more thing. The reason she was uh, developing this idea was uh, was, her dream was to make a vaccine against some cancers. And that's still her dream, and that looks like it may well be possible. And now you can take a little uh, sequence of DNA from one of those uh, cancers and produce a vaccine and give it to the patient, and they could become immune to their own cancer, uh, and it would quickly kill all the cancer cells without making the person sick. And so that's yet to come. So this is just a miraculous breakthrough. That is so encouraging. Thank you for that. Really appreciate hearing the science and and the possibilities of this. Let me ask you this. From a tangible perspective, I'm seeing some headlines that in incidents now, we've had the, the shot, the vaccination has been out for a little while, that maybe some impacts are showing up in places like nursing homes where the infection levels are measurably decreasing. Yeah, it's we're we're just getting to that point where we're going to I'm sure we're going to be seeing that, but it's still a little too early to have the evidence yet. Yeah, the coverage is now getting pretty extended pretty far and uh but it's just been too soon to uh to see the the evidence. You know what in fact that brings up a comment uh another thing I've been looking carefully at the epidemiologists are always very interested in what we call the epidemic curve. That is uh, the graph that shows uh, over time uh, how many new cases there are each day. And that graph is a, it goes up when the, when the number of cases starts going up and then the, the line goes down when the cases slow down and so forth. And this fall we had just what I think is an amazing occurrence. Uh, when you look at that epidemic curve, there's this big, spike we've seen over the fall up up past uh, New Year's Day, and now it's starting to fall down, you, you might have heard, starting to go way down. It turns out that's not one big epidemic. What it is, it's a series of three or four epidemics, one on top of the other. And it turns out each one of those was a big spike of infections immediately following Halloween and then immediately following Thanksgiving and then immediately following Christmas and New Year's. And now then there there are no more holidays for a while. It's just plummeting down. So you see, what we've just seen is three epidemics corresponding to people's losing their carefulness 
going to parties, getting together with extended family members, celebrating without masks, not being careful, and spreading this infection dramatically. And when those holidays come close together, it just piles one on top of the other, and you get these huge epidemics like we just had. And then when the holidays go away, people start getting more careful. They go back to what they were doing. They, they stay at home and so forth, and, and the thing goes back down. So that shows us that we have the ability to control this thing and get it down if we'll just lose our appetite for socializing during these holidays. I think that would that would solve the problem. Well, and certainly, hopefully, this vaccination has uh, impacted that and will impact that as well. You know, the frontline health care workers have been at this for a year. I know they're exhausted. I know that their emotions must be must be stretched like a rubber band. Has the vaccination given them hope? Oh, absolutely. This was wonderful news. And, and uh, if you'll pardon the pun, a great shot in the arm for our uh, health care workers. I talked to a number of people who were just really you know, relieved uh you know, it's one thing to be working real hard all the time, which they kind of do uh, all the time anyway, but uh, to be working hard all the time and not know if you're going to get a deadly infection or pass it to your family or whatever, that's a, been a double stress. And to, to relieve some of that burden has been very welcome. Thank you for such great advice. Appreciate it, and thanks for being with us.